0: This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Ball of the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash LHR book. That's clnsradio.com slash LHR Happy reading, and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, June 26, 2016. This is Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, and I'm Larry H. Russell. It's been a few days since the conclusion of the draft, so what do you think we'll do for the show? Of course... Our 2016 NBA Draft Review Show, and that'll be done with Scott Howard Cooper, who covers the draft and amateur prospects for NBA.com and NBA TV, as well as Ben Goliver from Sports Illustrated, where we are going to look more at what it meant and what it means for the Boston Celtics. The whole everything of that night on this very day, the last Sunday in June, right here on episode number 163 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron. BlueApron.com slash Celtics for two free meals with free shipping. And, of course, two weeks to go in the contest to win four weeks of Blue Apron meals, $800 worth of food. Get in now. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtic speed on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review this show to get in that contest. Thank you, Blue Apron, and thank you, American Fabers Network.com. Fourth of July countdown is officially on. Get the barbecue covered by the best meat money can buy at com forward slash specials. I could really use the protein in an omega-3 fat pick-me-up more than ever right now. I'm just not feeling it here as we're three days from this past Thursday. I'm not feeling that draft at all. Now, remember, that's not going to set back the franchise. Didn't really last year after we thought it would be a big, big draft and it was – bit of a letdown in its own right or at least we don't know yet although I'll actually credit to Jeff Goodman for tweeting this out I believe on Thursday or Friday morning in the hours immediately after the draft Boston's odds at winning the title went from 30 to 1 six best in the NBA Nearly doubled in the wrong direction to 50 to 1. So, huh. uh, maybe the Celts did take a step back, or at least maybe did not take the step forward that everyone thought they would, including the wise guys out in Vegas. There's very little positive vibe. From that night and that night specifically, and we've heard from everyone, and I want to get two more gentlemen in here to offer their takes from this past Thursday who each provide their own insight in different ways. But listen, as listeners of this show know, I am the last person to get worked up on trade rumors, the absolute last. Especially nowadays, I know some of it is based on clicks on the internet, downloads, TV ratings, etc. So me, being personally let down from Thursday does not come from that. The quote-unquote failure to make a move. Ah, Danny, let one get away. Come on, do something, Danny, already. From what I've heard, the only real possibility could have been something for Milwaukee's Greg Monroe, who I'm a huge fan of, and Chris Middleton. Which, quick caveat, as I said, I'm a big Monroe fan, but even I would have been iffy on that because I'm not sure I would have wanted to fill out the salaries on the team with those two guys, at least at this very moment. Talk to me a little later in the summer. So I didn't go in a Thursday on the edge of my seat thinking July of 2007 would play itself out again, which so many people are doing, just waiting with bated breath. And the, Celts and the media have done their part to drum that up, too. And that's when it doesn't happen. Fans and some lesser educated media members have a backlash and... I'm not let down by that. I can tell you that. I'm let down in that I don't think the Celts improve their team in the immediate or in the future, which is kind of the whole point of these drafts, right? To improve your team. You had the third overall pick, and I don't want to hear, like, oh, it's a two man draft. You can't really put. It. Let me, come on. I, I promise you, there will be a cascade of players who are going to make positive impacts huge impacts when they're in the league for years to come you know, that are going to be picked outside the top two. Be third overall selection, that's an opportunity that does not come around too much. And by all accounts, they selected someone who has far and away the biggest bust potential. I'm not saying he's going to be a washout. Who am I to say that? With what I know about these prospects in terms of what I know about the draft and these guys, that's what Scott Howard Cooper will be here for later. I'm saying something that is not arguable. Jalen Brown unequivocally has the biggest flop potential of the top eight, 10 players selected major disclaimer. I'm not the draft expert, but I looked into going into Thursday and I've said on this show, I hope the Celtics add a player with a Paulus outside shot to help them there. I hope they get at least someone who could help next year with the impending loss of rotation guys like Evan Turner and Jared Sullinger. I'm not sure I would have been too keen on a project. And I was really hoping Danny didn't get enamored with workup types of players who look the part, who talk the part, but they're not the part. Think Jeff Green. Think Fab Mello. And although he certainly does not talk the part, Fab Mello does not talk the part. But this is why I kind of feared Marquise Chris in a way. I know Danny historically has fallen for these guys, but just the whole night, you could tell it did not go Boston's way in the mind of the organization with Wick Rosbeck's mini outbursts at the podium, whom you will hear from coming up later in the show, and the fact that they reached for two draft and stash players early in the draft, particularly Gasson, to make sure they selected draft and stash guys as opposed to best player available guys that they had to pay next year when there's a numbers game on the roster. So you don't have to be a draft savant to see through that. And the best that we're hearing, the positive spin, hasn't been arguments for any of the players selected or what it really means for the team. It's been, oh, trust Danny. So... While I do to an extent, that's really not something I wanted to hear or even feel myself coming out of Thursday. I was hoping there was a little better than that, right? But let's bring in Scott Howard Cooper of NBA.com right now. And Scott, let's start this off with Jalen Brown. Back on these airways on Thursday, Ryan Bernardoni called in to CLNS Radio's live coverage on the draft and made as concise of an argument as you possibly could about the downfalls of Boston's top draft selection. Take a listen. What he is is... He looks like a great basketball player, like standing there. He looks like a great <laughs> basketball player, but he can't shoot. He can't pass. He turns the ball over a lot. He doesn't create turnovers. He doesn't block shots. I don't know what he does. I don't want to bog people down with the numbers necessarily, but it's not just warp projections. Like there's a, Every statistical projection has him in the 30s, sort of 30s of like maybe 60 guys, or if you went to 100, he would be in the 40s. Scott, we will start off with your reaction to that.
1: Well, I'm sure that there's probably a pretty common sentiment to that. Uh, But Jalen is obviously far from a finished product. I can tell you that uh, in a lot of front offices around the NBA, people really liked him. Uh, That going number three is not any kind of big surprise. He's got the size already. Uh, He's a guy, he's got a lot of potential and people sometimes don't like to hear that word. And I know they probably don't want to hear that word, especially in Boston when they're tired of hearing about what may be and want to get to what is. Uh, but this is somebody that a lot of teams, not just the Celtics, think very highly of.
0: I'm just concerned that Danny seems to ignore these. I don't want to say that's a horrible word that I just used, ignore draft analytics. But he was huge on Austin Rivers back in 2012, and that was who Kevin Pelton cited as well as being one of the worst college players. But you talk about potential NBA body. I mean, there's people who don't even play basketball who have the NBA body, long wingspan. What are the skill sets that he could bring to the table potentially next year or within this realm of whenever he may turn out to be the Jalen Brown that warrants being selected third overall?
1: Maybe I overemphasized it when I talk about NBA body because uh, you're right. You can have an NBA body and, and not have played basketball. But it shows how this guy has a chance to be a tremendous presence, that if he's six seven and 220 or so after his freshman year of uh of college. Look what he can become when he gets a little older and an NBA uh, strength and conditioning program. So that's not to say that that's the primary selling point, but it is one of them that if you're looking at a small forward who can be physically imposing and with great athleticism and can run the break and has a chance to do so many things on defense, uh, he's somebody, again, I just keep coming back to this, this is not a Celtics thing. This is somebody that a lot of teams think has a terrific future.
0: You're talking to someone who is uh back on the NBA draft, but when I went into this draft myself and looking at it as someone who has I would still say an emotional attachment to the team, I looked at what the need needed the very least to come out of come out of it with and I was hoping for a player that can contribute next year. That doesn't sound like that's someone who Jalen Brown is going to be. He is at best a work in progress, at best someone who would grow or at least allow his athleticism to grow into some skills best case scenario is sort of like what happened to Aaron Gordon a few years ago how his athleticism was just so good and just so through the roof where he became I don't want to say the player that he became but he's he looks like he's on the upswing for Orlando but I'm sticking with the Celtics Scott I mean you talk about it's not a Celtics thing I mean when I watched the playoffs last year Celts need shooting Danny Ainge, I don't think he really ever seems to put a premium on shooting when selecting players in the first round. I mean, he's, he's selected shooters before James Young, R.J. Hunter, but he's gone to guys like Tony Allen, Rajon Rondo, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, now Jalen, guys that come out of into the league well below average shooters, and it's Boston's biggest need, and there's no wonder the team hasn't ranked better than 27th in outside shooting over the last five years. So, I'm going to flip it to this. You're sort of taking a, a lukewarm position on the pick by saying that you, there are plenty of teams in and around the NBA that are high on him. But do you think that was Boston's best option at number three? And I'm not. Now, let's exclude trades. I mean, I'm not going into any fantasy trades. Boston's best option with what was on the board at number three?
1: I probably would not have gone that way. Um, and again, not every team would have gone that way. Uh, people think highly of him, but. People think awfully highly of Dragon Bender. People like Buddy Heald a lot, especially for a team that, as you said, needs shooting. I'll just drop this one thing in here really quick in the conversation of what you said in passing. There's several names that you mentioned there, guys who are non-shooters. We can't knock those picks, right? Nobody can knock. Nobody can knock getting Rondo that late in the draft. Uh, Avery Bradley's had a career. And does something really well that will keep him in the league for a long time, and uh, and, a, and a success. Uh, there were other names you mentioned in there that you're right are not shooters, but you can't knock Danny Ainge for the pick uh, or the, the trade. If it's in the case of Rondo on, on draft night, uh, when guys work out, um, you're right. That and I get especially the point that people want somebody that could have contributed now. That that was obvious, and you know what? So did Danny Ainge. Uh, it was clear that they were trying to do something uh, to get a veteran in there, and when it came down to it, could you have made a better case for, for Buddy Heald because they needed shooters? Absolutely. Could you have made the same case for Dragon Bender? Uh, because he's a guy, not a great shooter. It's not the Porzingis comparison that everybody wants to make. But certainly, very skilled offensively, gets other people involved. Much more of a Tony Kukoc type than a Porzingis type, Uh, big guy that can handle and create and and get passes to other people. So, is there a counter argument to be made to Jalen Brown? Absolutely. I'm not suggesting otherwise. There's, there's several directions they could have gone there.
0: I'll put you on the spot. Who would you pick the three?
1: Um. Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald, and if you want me to make an absolute declaration, I would have gone Buddy Heald because I think that uh, the need is so pressing there, as you've just detailed. And he's 22, I believe, but he's got a lot of college experience, Uh, comes across as pretty mature certainly does not lack for confidence. He could have stepped into situations and and he would have been uh, throwing swagger all over town. So I think that a guy like Buddy, in temperament and in play, um, in experience, probably would have been that guy that was able to come in and fill a need and potentially help right
0: away. I'll give you another short question before I sort of transfer things as we go down the first round. Talked about this last week with Nicole Albach. Fun little game he played—a little over/under on how many years someone would be in the league. Now, this is not really a kind of a fair question asked. Obviously, things can happen, but it's a good way to gauge, I think, the opinion in the shortest possible way we could of what you think of Jalen Brown over/under nine and a half years in the NBA for Mr. Brown.
1: That's—I I would say under, but you know what? If somebody has an eight-year career, if it's at a pretty high level that's not bad at all. And we have to remember that sometimes guys have a shortened career, uh, not because they weren't good enough, not because they flunked out after the rookie contract, but some guys just at a certain point say, okay, I think I can get by with the $150 million in the bank. Um, but, yeah, I think anything around eight or nine years is a good career. And it obviously depends on what level those eight or nine years are. But, if it worse if I'm saying under, I'm saying he's got eight years, it's no difference in saying. He's I was more years. so
0: just using it as a way the best possible way we could possibly sort of gauge your opinion on Jalen Brown and especially Jalen Brown. My, Go ahead. I was gonna
1: say my opinion is he will have a long career. Okay that is measured as eight years, if that is measured as ten years, I don't know how to pick nine and a half, but uh, he's going to have a long career.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's two... Uh, we're going to talk about sort of the fallout of the draft in our next segment, but there's I really want to talk about the players specifically with you. I mean, there's two uh, really reasons why the fans... Are upset. There's one half of it being upset, like you just heard Ryan talk about. You're upset because number three overall, you may have selected someone who scares the living daylights out of a lot of people with educated basketball minds, largely because Jalen Brown may very well not be a good basketball player. Jalen Brown may very well be a Jeff Green type where he relies on his athleticism alone and doesn't really have any honed basketball skills. And that's why people are upset. And there's another faction of fans or, of course, it could sort of cross in about both ways, that are upset because Boston didn't make any big moves, and I really want to talk about that coming up with Ben, but I, I've got you here to talk about the players. But they're upset that they didn't make any trades and they had this anticipation that something big was going to happen, and it really became evident Boston was not going to make any deals after the. I hope I get this right, and maybe I'm sort of grandstanding here with a French accent, the Gerson Yaboussoulet, uh, I think that too... Was that pretty good, Scott? Was that good? Or was oh, that?
1: I'm giving you a standing ovation.
0: Okay. But I read this from CLNS Celtics locker room reporter, Jared Weiss. He had a story on him, and he was quoted, uh, as saying how surprised he was. He didn't even remember Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens' names and the quotes. And Boston reached mightily for him by all accounts. And on face value, at least from me looking at it, it seemed like they were a little desperate for a guy – the new catchphrase, of course, draft and stash. So rather than pick someone who they thought was the best player available, they picked a player who they could throw overseas for a little bit so that way they didn't have to pay the salary. Is that a fair assessment, or can this this guy actually have a future in this league?
1: Wait a second. He said he did not remember Danny Ainge and uh, Brad Stevens?
0: He, he was taught when in the article, his quotes were he was talking about the coach, and he never cited Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge. Yeah.
1: That might worry me more
0: <laughs> than anything He was else. very um, surprised that the Celtics picked him. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> that's that's very uh, bold of him to say. Um, I'll, I'll answer your question this way. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, somebody that was mentioned much more end of first round, beginning of the second Uh, certainly a draft and stash candidate uh, along those lines, but it was more for teams like the 76ers, for example, who had two picks in the 20s. Uh, Maybe even the later Boston pick, the one in in the 2023. So something like that. So, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, The guy is one of those hard hat players uh, that you're going to put in the game and say, go get rebounds. And whoever the opposing power forward is is, going to know that he had a fight that night. Somebody's going to leave with bruises Anytime uh, anytime they play Yabusele.
0: Yeah, he seems like someone fans are definitely going to get enamored with because he's going to be a great unknown for the next two years. And the next time the Celtics get out-rebounded by in a random regular season game, they're going to say, oh, they better get that Yabusele guy over here because of just the fact that he's mysterious. And I'm surprised you have not mentioned the NBA body. He's like 250 pounds of solid rock muscle, I believe.
1: Well, I don't know if I'm not into bodies as much as you're. <laughs> I <laughs> am. I, I, I'm jealous. I'm just
0: be, jealous. Just
1: because, I, just because I mentioned it with Jalen Brown, you're actually one of the selling points on on Jalen Brown. But, uh, yeah, obviously is a tank. He's, as I said, he's a he's a worker. Um, you're going to know that you were in a game. He's going to. I, I don't want to say Kenneth Farid because it's a different style of play. You know, Kenneth is.
0: Is, Reggie um, Evans maybe I'm just throwing a name out there cuz I don't know I don't know actually, the guy. Is that a good name? I'm sorry. I'm, Reggie, I, I Evans? That that Reggie Evans?
1: Reggie Evans. Yeah, you know yeah, that's that's not bad. Um I, I think that I had heard about uh, uh Yabusele and then I stood next to him last night and I said, "Yeah, he's going to do some damage underneath. That if he says, I want this piece of the key, nobody's getting it away from him."
0: Right down the line. Ante Zizic, 6'11", rugged center from Eastern Europe, 19-year-old kid. Same thing, although he actually says he wants to come over. Is that going to be the case? Will he be on the Celtics next year? And if you can give us sort of a brief little blurb on him in your own words.
1: I'm surprised that he would say, well, I, it's not up to him uh, if he wants to come over. I think that that would be a conversation that the Celtics will obviously have a great deal to say. They may have taken him with the intent of, of him staying overseas and we will... Tell him as much. I don't know what his contract situation is. Uh, but again, one of those draft and stash players. Uh, a, a real bouncy guy, 6'11, uh, runs the floor, a lot of athleticism, can handle some contact. Uh, he's only, I think it's 19. He's 19 years old, so it sort of fits a draft and stash guy. If, if they decide that he should come over, I would say it's more than likely that. He's going to get a very good feel for uh, arenas and cities around the D League much more than the NBA. Uh, but he certainly does fit that that draft and stash mold. There's a lot to like because of uh, that energy. If he he needs to develop an offensive game. So again, when you're when you're a guy picked in the 20s, um, let's be realistic that uh, you're not thinking how soon is he going to be making the All Star team. Uh,
0: 10, on ten to twenty percent they even remain in the NBA, I believe the number is.
1: Yeah, whatever the number is, it's just it's just realistic that um let's hope that Danny does not take any grief three years down the line if, if the number twenty three pick didn't <laughs> didn't turn out because uh, that's pretty regular. But he's a, a nice prospect just because he if you're six eleven in athletic and can handle some contact and you just play with a non stop motor that's not a. That's not the worst starting point possible for a prospect.
0: Well, as Justin Poulin said on the CLNS Celtics Draft Show back on Thursday night, with these picks, while it is twenty-three, they're also like at-bats, and you're just hoping that he were able to get a hit or a home run at whatever set at-bats. Now, of course, you know you're going to come up with the bases loaded. At number three overall there 's a better chance of being able to do something than there is say at twenty three when you 're probably down five, nothing in the ninth inning, but that is just sort of one way to look at it, even if say Zi flops, you hope that he isn 't of the case of the whole draft flop, so you just really not to sort of state the obvious, you just hope that the boston 's going to be coming away with someone coming away with eight picks throughout the ninth. Okay, real quick on the second round, guys. I'm just going to just reel, reel this off. Demetrius Jackson, junior point guard from Notre Dame. Ben Benteel, he's a local kid who went to Providence, seems to be getting a lot of positive pub from people like Kevin O'Connor. Your colleague, Steve Smith, anyone. He kind of had a Stockton and Malone-type relationship with Chris Dunn. And then Abdel Nader, tweener forward, Iowa State, 58th overall. Real quick thoughts on them. Anyone who you'd be willing to make a prediction who could make an impact in, in the NBA of those three?
1: I, I think Demetrius Jackson has a chance to be a player. I was really surprised uh, that he dropped as much as he did. Uh, i I had teams in conversations saying that there's somebody that's a chance for the, the teams, uh, maybe early 20s, certainly to go that far into the second round, I think was a bit of a surprise. If you want me to pick one, uh, and I, I, I can see the appeal of Ben Thiel, I, I get why people like him, uh, but uh, I think Demetrius Jackson has is, got is kind of a nice chance for a future.
0: Scott Howard Cooper of NBA.com and NBA TV can follow Scott on Twitter, at S. Howard Cooper. To finish you off, Scott, we'll really put you on the spot, by doing so for these past 19 minutes or so, throw a grade on the Celtics draft.
1: A grade on the Celtics draft? Um, part of it is the depth. It was obviously a crazy thing to have that many picks. Uh, so a lot of it is depth. Uh, but so we but weigh the scale
0: so, uh, for them we can change the yeah. scale for the Celtics <laughs> and we would say the Nets who didn't have a pick coming into the draft but of course they right.
1: saying because we did like the uh uh what they did in the second round so i think that has to factor in on some level um but especially when you look at the top i'll give it a i'll give it a b um i uh, um I, I thought Deontay Davis would have been an interesting pick and then they they traded him so you take that one off the board uh, but we'll give it a B. Uh, I know that that's not going to be necessarily a popular answer there because uh, you've continuously cited all the reasons why people wanted something other than what they got. But I think it's I think it's got a chance. And I would also point this out: that it's not an automatic that they're going to end up with all these guys on day one of training camp. There's still going to be on the phones. There's still going to be a lot of conversations. And let's see. Uh, we might have a we might have a different discussion on opening night. Uh, if some of these guys are not even on the team because they've been flipped into the veteran that everybody wants.
0: Again, Scott Howard Cooper, NBA.com dot com and NBA TV. Thanks so much for stopping by, man. Have a great day. You know, that really wasn't a guy I wanted to hear, right? I mean, the the overall grade in the draft, giving it a B, or even just talking specifically about Jalen. The grade, I think that could be translated into a meh, even when he said, get a B, which is not something I don't think anyone wanted to hear, especially with the hype Thursday had, nor something that anyone would want to hear when you have the third pick. You can say what you want, two-man draft. First off, we don't know that. Honestly, there will be more than two people in this draft that will greatly produce at the NBA level. And you have a third pick in this draft. Any draft, you really need to hit. You don't get opportunities like this too often. I know Brooklyn's going to stink next year, especially with the Thad Young trade. They're probably going to be the worst team in the league. But you just don't know. So... I'm kind of going down the line here. We're hearing from everybody, Boston fans, Celtics Nation, Kevin O'Connor. He was a Jalen guy before the draft, so he's consistent in what he says. You have to give him that, but throughout all the draft expertise, at all from the most astute analysis, be it Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Schmitz, I mean, we hear from them all a lot, Jeff Goodman on this show, and, and Celtics Stuff Live, and John Duke. That's what I got Scott here. He's another credible name in the media realm of amateur scouting, and you just heard him. He really didn't give a rousing review to the overall draft or to Jalen Brown specifically. I mean, I felt like I pressed him as hard as I could. What skills does he provide the Celtics team next year or in the years of his rookie contract? Felt like I never got an answer. How does he fit with the Celtics? What does he add? Again, really no upfront answer. So take that as you will. That doesn't really sound like a ringing endorsement, at least to me. That's at least my way of how to interpret it as. So as of now, so far, not so good, right? Especially if we're immediately analyzing this. We're in the business of talking about today, talking about the immediate repercussions of the draft today. Of course, we can use the common sense phrase of, well, we just have to wait and see. And Danny Ainge said, hey, put this on me if this doesn't work out. But that's fair. And Danny certainly has proven he has an eye for talent. It's certainly true. But what was that we wanted to say to ourselves on this Sunday following the draft? I don't think that's what we really wanted to hear. Anyways, that was Scott Howard Cooper. You've probably seen him on NBA TV over the course of the last few days. can check him out. As well as all of his recapping of the draft he has done since Thursday on NBA.com. Coming up, we've got Ben Galler. NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, also host of SI's Open Floor podcast alongside Andrew Sharp, was going to use that segment to do a greater look at free agency and put it in our official predictions of who's going where, specifically since this begins next weekend. But something tells me we got to analyze everything that's happened over the last few days from this pick and what it means for the Celtics and all the other ins and outs. So you heard Scott talk about the actual talent of that was selected what does it mean for the Celts? Again, Ben Gulliver of SI coming up shortly. You're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince.
2: Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having
0: him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student
2: of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website at www.darylcarrant.com. Daryl, Vince had so
0: many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most
2: popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get
0: on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods and get it from the country's leading organic meat brand. American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Episode number 163 of Celtic Speed with special guests Scott Howard Cooper and Ben Gulliver is brought to you by Blue Apron. You know by now, healthy food leads to a healthy you. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you delicious and fun to cook meals for you and with your family and friends And at a very affordable price for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients to make those delicious home-cooked meals. I highly suggest giving Blue Apron a shot. You will not regret it. Check out this week's menu and get your two meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. It's already an incredible deal as is with meals under $10 and your first two meals are free with free shipping. And best of all, you would help continue to fund this Celtics Beat operation. Eat up. Head on over to BlueApron.com slash That is BlueApron.com slash Celtic Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Yeah, I was actually, Ben, going to, and we're here with Sports Illustrated. Ben Goller, I was actually going to use your segment to sort of transition out of the draft and get ready for the offseason, even free agency, which technically begins next weekend, 4th of July weekend, the real fireworks. But saw you on the Sports Illustrated live draft show. Fittingly, you had a Celtics hat right behind you that stuck out like a (laughs) sore thumb. But you refer to the Celts not making a deal as the most surprising thing of the draft. And, of course, actually selecting Jalen Brown, third of a wall. So I'm going to give you a bit more than 90 seconds on that one.
2: Yeah, well, it was surprising just because of all the rumors. But I think, you know, ultimately they got cast as losers by a lot of the analysts online. And I didn't really agree with that. I kind of pushed back on that a little bit uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one. Uh, stars don't get traded that often. So it's not this massive failure to not trade for a star. Guess what? Nobody really traded for a star unless you're like Sergi Baca's biggest fan and you consider him a star. I mean, nobody traded for a star uh, during the draft process. So let's not single out Boston for that. And then I think the other issue is that, uh, remember, it's Brooklyn's pick. It's not Boston's pick. So their backup plan to just use the pick after trying to auction it off and, and gin up these offers uh, they used it pretty logically i mean it's a position in need it's a guy who has high upside they're in a position with their squad where they can uh, you know be deliberate and kind of wait on jalen brown to develop you know at his own pace you don't necessarily need to rush him out there for huge minutes next season because they've already got so much depth you know up and down the roster so uh, to me it didn't seem like it was you know plan number one and there had been so much smoke that you thought maybe something would come together for Danny Ainge, uh, but I thought it was a really a strong backup plan. I, I'm not Jalen Brown's biggest fan, uh, but I totally see where Boston was coming from with that move.
0: Yeah, I just had Scott Howard Cooper of NBA TV on. He could not have been more lukewarm. I just just a few minutes ago, he was just like, I'll ah, we'll give it a, a B, but I think that's almost the case of there may be so many people who are almost afraid of criticizing Danny Ainge because they, they just don't want to do that. Is there anything to that in terms of portions of the media's reaction to this draft? Of course, because there is a complete other side of this as well. There is a humongous negative reaction to this past Thursday night.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a I mean there's a cat and mouse game like guys, you know, if you're, you know, an embedded reporter especially on a beat or if you're a national guy who's regularly using somebody as a source, like it gets to be difficult and you get put into positions where it's hard to kind of speak your mind. Uh, you know, that's just kind of how the game works. Uh, you know, at the same time, like, this wasn't a completely off the wall, like, big George-type draft pick by the Sacramento Kings at number 13 where nobody saw it coming and it was completely insane and, like, what the heck are the Kings doing? Uh, it's a de- there's a defensible logic behind the move. And so I think once the kind of uh, cooler heads prevailed, uh, you're going to see a little bit more rational analysis around this pick. I also think that... I mean, this is one of the problems when you're out there putting rumors out, when you're sort of a rumor monger and trying to, you know, get offers for your pick. If you're not able to get those and then, you know, you wind up having to take all of those picks like they did and you're drafting and stashing guys who your fan base has never heard of, like that's going to come home to roost on you a little bit. All that rumor talk, you know, Getting the fans' hopes up is going to come back to bite you, and I think we saw that sort of later in the draft, where some of their draft guys seemed like they were getting booed by the fans who were uh, in attendance at Barclays. Uh, you know that's tricky, so you're kind of playing with fire there. But you know, ultimately, I think the rumors are fun, uh, and I definitely don't criticize a guy because he's not able to deliver on a trade rumor that's floating around on the internet.
0: I've well, hold on though. I've, I mean, I've talked about this a little few times. I believe the Celtics, maybe even the Boston media. Have cre- I think the Celtics have a little to do with this because Danny Ainge mentioned it uh, even last or was it a few nights ago in a press conference where he said, oh, hey, we have two uh, max salary slots. Don't forget about that. But they are. There's always this insinuation of a transformative trade that's going to be that could very well happen tomorrow or five years from now. I, it's almost I believe that the Celtics within conjunction with the media have created an environment where something big is going to happen and thus it kind of gets the lemmings, sorry for such a negative connotation, and sort of gets the lemmings kind of all revved up. And then when you go, and this isn't just last night, this is almost an identical reaction to last year when the Celtics put out a lot of rumors. They released it through their Twitter feed that they were trying to trade up in the draft. That was an official tweet. And when they didn't trade up in the draft, sure enough, and they picked Rozier and uh, R.J. Hunter and the kid from Marcus Thornton, there was a letdown then, and now there was even a letdown last night. I mean, you make anything of that, that the Celtics within conjunction of the media have almost created an environment of just this next great thing is going to happen
2: tonight. Well, yeah. I mean there's – you, there's two things you can always count on: Celtics trade rumors and Lakers free agency rumors. I mean, every year, just like clockwork, every free agent's supposed to be looking at the Lakers. They're going to take the meetings. Every single guy is supposed to sign there, and then what do you know? They don't sign there. Uh, we've kind of had a similar pattern with Boston. I think the exception there, though, is that you did have a situation where you know Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce all come together in this magical off season, and it pays off hugely. And now. Uh, you know, the franchise kind of has that, you know, glisten to it, almost like, well, we can make magic happen again. And uh, I think Danny Ainge's track record in terms of the the big moves, especially the Brooklyn move, kind of selling on, uh, you know, KG and, and Paul Pierce, I think it can kind of justify a lot of this other nonsense. Like, I know Celtics fans are probably impatient at this point. They're kind of waiting for, like, when are we going to get anything approaching a star player? I mean, Jay Crowder... Isaiah Thomas, nice pieces, not A-list guys, and and the sheer volume of players to have been linked to the Celtics over the last three years, really since the the breakdown, uh, is pretty staggering. Uh, But I don't necessarily hold that against Boston. I guess I just look at it as part of the game here that uh, gets played between the media and between very popular uh, franchises who have these huge fan bases where, I mean, if you go back to the the trade of of Pierce and Garnett, everybody knew that was going to be a long process, right? Do you want to spend that process excited and titillated by the possibility of rumors? Or do you just want to, you know, go along with with nothing happening and just trust that somebody like Marcus Smart is going to finally bust through after three or four years and just hope that Avery Bradley can make the leap? I mean, I I think there's a certain uh, engagement factor uh, that almost falls under like sales and marketing, if you want to call it that. Uh, from the front office that you know fans shouldn't be uh, you know reacting too negatively to
0: do you have any theory though as to why these net selections or the picks from last year and the in the failure to move up in the draft last year to get justice Winslow failure to get really anything done this year as well Do you have any theory as to why these selections aren't getting teams excited into making a deal for them for maybe not even like well, you know the yeah, Jimmy I'm- butlers but anything else go ahead
2: yeah, no. I mean, you had the number three pick in the two-player draft this year, so that kind of speaks for itself. And you know, Danny Ainge is not going to just settle. He's not going to take a discount for that that price. And then I also think, I mean, I it sounds to me like maybe you're putting more stock in these trade rumors than I do. I mean, the the I volume. Don't. I swear. I don't. Okay. Good. Well, so then I'm, I'm with you then. I just don't think you need to obsess over a trade rumor that doesn't come through because anyone can put out a trade rumor. You know, being in a position where I used to do, I do more analysis now than I used to do uh, reporting. You know, kind of when I was coming up. Well, you want to, but you know, being the in the position a of a reporter, <laughs> uh, yeah, coming, you know, coming through the you know the reporting pipeline, you hear just all sorts of nonsense. And if you want to put it out there, and it, it can be legitimate very quickly, the way that Twitter works now and the way that aggregators work. Uh, And that can be a dangerous thing. And, again, I just don't ever look at a GM's job based on did he deliver on the rumors. I look at the actual moves that he's made. And if you look at the slow build that Boston's, uh, you know, pulled together here over these last couple years, I thought it was disappointing they weren't able to win a playoff series this year because that was the next logical step. But, uh, you know, otherwise, like, they've done a really nice job.
0: No, they, they have been. I'm not going to argue with there. They've done a great job, and they do have the track record. And, yes, it's still a wait and see with Jalen and anyone else who was picked. I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of anyone who's taking the stance of a detractor from this past Thursday night, which there were a lot of. And even as someone who does not know the draft all that great, I'm actually going to have to put myself in that camp largely from what has been argued to me and what has been presented to me about using the third overall pick on Brown. So you have that side, and then you just have the negative reaction of, as I said earlier, of the lemmings, of the more casual, less observant fan who's been swayed and moved in all these directions because it's hard for them to realize how hard replicating 2007 is becoming. And I tell you, I think Wick Rosbeck He's becoming a little agitated that the Celts can't seem to make that home run or even like a bases-clearing double. And I wanted to get to this interview with you because I, I know you saw him making headlines over the last few days. Take a listen to this.
2: We weren't even close to any of the offers
1: that came in today. It was, none of them were even uh, in the mix.
0: That was from the CLNS Radio YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. Also, the Wick Rosbeck full press conference in its entirety will be available as bonus audio of this podcast, which can only be downloaded on this podcast through the CLNS Radio mobile app, again as part of the bonus audio of this episode. So I've been talking to the folks within the organization, Ben. Heck, Mike Gorman has come on this show and laid it out time and time again how. Teams are less willing to do deals with the Celtics because they're afraid of getting ripped off by Danny Ainge. Am I wrong to think think that, or even Mike is, that that very well could be a part of Grosbeck's frustration and really downright anger of what he had to say Thursday night?
2: Well, they didn't land a star player, so I think that's where some of the frustration is coming from, right? Like, that would be your home run move, and they've been after it just as long as the fans have been after it, right? And so I think it's reasonable for them to share in those same frustrations that you're talking about and have that be a primary motivation. Now, uh, is it people afraid of Danny Angel? I mean, we've heard the same thing about Masai Ajiri up in Toronto, right? Like, everybody's scared to trade with them now. You know, I think that—and I tend to think that's kind of bluster— uh, I think any two executives in this league can get together and make a deal as long as the terms are fair and balanced on both sides. I think part of the problem, uh, you know, with, with Boston's guys, and when I look at Boston's guys, I feel like Brad Stevens basically squeezes just about the most out of almost everybody he's got in his rotation. And so if you're an opposing exec, executive and, and let's even say that you think my coach isn't as good as Brad Stevens, well, if you're bringing in in these three smaller pieces and trying to part the star player uh, – are you completely confident you can get those three guys to play as well as they're playing in Boston? Or do you worry that they take a step back and make you look bad? I think that could be part of it too. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, you know, people being afraid to deal with Danny H, I think everyone's going to be afraid to do the kind of deal that Brooklyn did where you're sacrificing so much of your future, uh, you know, and, and leveraging so many assets into a single move that has significant backfire potential. Uh, You know, I think expecting Danny Ainge to be able to pull that kind of trade off again is completely unrealistic.
0: Yeah, I think also, too, I, I really just think that Wick got very emotional Thursday after being booed. He was certainly flustered. By the fans. I spoke to one pretty much the season ticket holder. I, I'm not sure if I can mention him by name. He said he was heartbroken when he saw that wicket boo the way he did. And I think that you do sort of couple that. I think that there is this uh, train of thought within the organization that teams are beginning to be afraid of doing trades with Danny Ainge, especially if you're having the play by play announcer say that on these airwaves. And uh, you can take my word for it, but talking to the people that I have, they've said sort of the same thing but there that's also on the case of there really is only two real possibilities of something where something could have happened that we know of, and that being last year at the draft itself, and they were talking about moving in for Justice Winslow. That also had a lot to do with Charlotte. I believe it was Charlotte, right? The pop ga- it was about uh, the Hornets, they the, switching other names around, driving me nuts. Well, Hornets having an obsession with Frank Kaminsky, and they were probably just gonna refuse any deal as is. I actually had a funny conversation that sort of re triggered my mind. Uh, Chris Forsberg on last week's show, and I read that proposed trade last year to move up. We don't know, and there was a lot of discussion too. We don't really know how that trade looks now. It's, at this point, last week, I said, "Wow, that potential trade with Charlotte would have been a disaster for the Celtics." Now it's the big debate: is who would you rather have? And this sort of goes back. And I, I, I was just I used Scott to, to talk specifically about the prospects, and I was going to talk to you about the fallout. But I, I should get your opinion on this because. You're sort of taking a, a, a lesser stand of being aggressive against Boston's draft, particularly the Draylen Brown pick, which has gotten a lot of negative reaction from a lot of people in and around Boston and nationally. I want to real quickly on this. Justice Winslow, Jalen Brown, I've had to sort of put you on the spot on that one. Who do you think a better NBA career?
2: Uh, you know, I'd probably lean Justice Winslow. I was a big Justice Winslow guy last year, and I think he had a, a nice rookie season. The advanced stats seemed to like him. Impact stats definitely like him. Uh, great body. I mean, Jalen Brown's going to have a great body, too, no question. Uh, I think maybe you can, you know, shift and and use uh, Winslow in more different ways, especially right now. Uh, Then, you know, I think you're going to get more instant impact from a Winslow during his rookie than you're going to see from Jalen Brown next season. Uh, Obviously, both need to work on their shooting. You probably project Jalen Brown as a better shooter long term uh, and maybe a little bit more playmaking potential as well offensively. Uh, You know, I think I just view Justice Winslow as – I don't know, less risky or a little bit more certain. I think that there's more variability to the ceiling and the basement uh, for Jalen Brown, which is you know a reasonable risk to take if you're Boston at three and uh, nobody's really jumping out. You, I mean, part of the reason why I'm willing to give uh, Boston a little bit of a pass here at three is that I liked a lot of the guys who were on the board, but I wasn't necessarily like completely in love with any of them. Uh, And, you know, maybe my favorite guy at number three would have been Jamal Murray, but fit-wise it doesn't really make a lot of sense in Boston. I mean, Jalen Brown definitely makes more sense fit-wise, roster fit-wise, positional fit-wise. So I can see that. I think other people might have been, you know, pro-Dragon Bender. I know I was on a panel last night with Luke Wynn, who was, you know, really singing Dragon Bender's praises. Uh, You know, is there a spot for them? And is there as much developmental time as he's going to need in, in ball handling and so forth? Uh, you know, available uh, in Boston, you know, maybe not compared to a place like Phoenix where, you know, they don't, they're not on any kind of timeline. I mean, they could take years to develop him. Uh, So from, you know, Bender's standpoint, Phoenix is probably a better fit for him. So, uh, you know, I think it was a situation where they kind of had to, you know, they already lost this year's draft when they didn't get a top two pick. I guess that's kind of how I looked at it. And that's a ping pong ball thing. That's not a a decision-making thing. Uh, And if their scouts felt that Jalen Brown, uh, was the best available guy, then let's see how it shakes out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if if he was in last year's draft, I don't see any way that Jalen Brown goes three. And I think if he was in next year's draft, I don't see any way he goes that high either.
0: Real quick, though, on Jalen Brown, I'm sorry for sticking with him, real quick, though, because, I mean, you just seem to be backing him up a little bit. Did concern you at all that his advanced analytics or all of his efficiency numbers, albeit one year at Cal, but I consider a full year a decent sample, decent enough sample size in my eyes, are you concerned at all that they were lackluster?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't love him as a prospect, and there's a couple things. I mean, he to me he washes out of games too. Like he'll just disappear, he'll just kind of fade into the crowd, and he doesn't make a oh, big impact. Yeah, so well, yeah. I mean, you can kind of make that comp. Uh, I haven't heard that one before, but that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, to me that that's that's a problem, and it kind of the eye t- test matches the stats with him a little bit. Is that he does fade at the same time. Uh, there wasn't that many one and uh, done guys. He's been highly regarded by all the major scouting services, you know, for quite a while. Uh, he's been in that top five mix, you know, going back to his high school year. Uh, clearly, the body is there. Uh, I think he's got the tools to be a pretty solid defensive player as well. And everybody wants two way wings, right? I mean, that's sort of why Boston was going after a Jimmy Butler in the first place. That's why Paul George is in that conversation as the second best player in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I mean, that's that's sort of what people are looking for and. In a best-case scenario, I think he can get there. But, yeah, his stats were terrible uh, at Cal. He also finished with negative momentum. I mean, he was really kind of trudging to the end in their short tournament run and, and down the stretch. Um, but, you know, there's been some buzz that he's really worked to improve his shooting uh, and that he, he shot at better during workouts uh, maybe than he did during the regular season. Um But, you know, you have to kind of adjust your expectations because he is a one-and-done guy. I mean, this isn't Buddy Heald after four years, you know what I mean? Like, you have to give a little leeway for these guys to kind of figure things out to mature and to kind of get where they're going to be. Uh, And the nice part, you know, I think you guys in Boston, it sounds like, are in a much bigger hurry than I am when I assess the Celtics. Like, I think they're on a nice upward, you know, trajectory gradually building eventually. They're going to be able to kind of find this, the star player who does need to kind of exit. They're going to be a nice landing spot with tons of assets and a really deep, uh, you know, talent pool to kind of surround that player with great coach, stable front office, very committed ownership group. I mean, there's so many franchises out there that don't have all those things I just mentioned um, that, you know, it could be a lot worse. I mean, you could be uh, the Hornets or the Kiggs, uh or even the Thunder who kind of cut costs with that Serge Baca move. I mean, there's different situations around the league. I, I still think where uh, if there's going to be outrage over a team's draft or a team's, like, current state of affairs Uh, you would put way before you put the Celtics.
0: Yeah, I just don't think that. I mean, I'm not speaking for me, but even just speaking for the general population of the fan base or even the people that Ryan Bernardoni a little bit earlier when I played his clip to Scott, I just don't think that you could use that as an actual point of reasoning of selecting someone like Jalen Brown just on the fact of, oh, well, everything else is going okay. I mean, it's a good opportunity to get to get a player. It's still number three overall in what was still considered a very decent draft. And like we've said about him, there really is no redeeming quality about him other than he's got an exceptional NBA body. So that's sort of the last word on that. Ben, I got you here specifically, but there was such a fallout, of course, from the draft. There was so much Celtics talk. Of course, you guys talked about it. Andrew Sharp on your podcast, which I believe ran the day... After the draft, of course, like this show available on iTunes, but wanted to talk a little bit about the offseason, which is kind of rocking and rolling. We had just had Game 7, which was played a week ago to today. We will go right to the draft, and then right next week, free agency is going to be- begin. But there were a few trades back on Thursday night. Of course, the Celtics made one uh, regarding Deonta Davis, and then they traded another second-round pick. The Nets made a good move for the Celtics when they traded Thad Young for the 20th overall selection of draft. So it's starting to look like they're going to be the worst team in the NBA next year. And the big move of the draft was Serge Ibaka. He seems to be a player certainly on the downswing. I actually think that Oklahoma City did pretty well. He hasn't been really the same since he got hurt in the Western Conference Finals a few years ago. He's, I think, slipping a little bit. How do you think Oklahoma City did? And I know this is probably a question that you're going to roll your eyes at, but how does this really play into Kevin Durant and his decision in your eyes, if you want to put, your, put yourself in his shoes?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think Oklahoma City... Won that trade pretty handily. I mean, you're talking about Ibaka well. coming, off a, coming off a down year. Uh, not only that, but he's entering the contract season. Uh, and that's going to get really expensive next summer. I mean, they've already committed max money to Enos Kanter. They've already uh, you know, put themselves in position to need to pay max money to both Durant and Westbrook soon. Steven Adams, did, in this playoff, he emerged as a max-type extension player as well, uh, and he really just kind of usurped Ibaka's spot on the pecking order and kind of supplanted him, really, and, and just kind of took his salary numbers. So I think it was a situation where they're trying to get out in front of uh, next summer being stuck where they couldn't keep everybody, and they're able to turn Ibaka into multiple lottery talents with a guy like you know Demonis Sabonis, who I think is ready to step in as sort of like a third or fourth big man in your rotation, a skilled player. Uh, you know, came on strong for Gonzaga. And then also, you know, Victor Oladipo, uh, you know, that's a top five pick from a few years ago. Uh, very talented on ball defender. He can be explosive on the ball offensively. And to me, he's a perfect fit as a sixth man for Oklahoma City because he played that role for about 20 games last season. And he looked like a sixth man of the year candidate when they did kind of shift him back into that role. So. Uh, I think he could be a real explosive dynamic guy coming off of their bench and just the sheer fact that they made a three-for-one trade here it improves their depth a little bit Uh, so from that standpoint I think it's logical and I don't think there's any way that uh, Sam Presti makes this move without at least sort of an indirect approval uh, from Kevin Durant now obviously you know in public they're going to deny that just like they denied that he sort of signed off on the Scott Brooks move Uh, but you know these guys spend a lot of time together they've been uh, you know, GM and superstar for you know, seven or eight years now, you know, dating all the way back to the Seattle era. I mean, they see eye to eye on this. And uh, I think that Sam Presti's message to Kevin Durant when it comes to resigning is uh, we stabilized a deeper core for you. Uh, we added another you know, really explosive piece to the backcourt. Uh, And you know we're doing everything we possibly can to set you up to give you every penny we can pay you, and to give you as much support as possible to really make the most not only of next season, but of however many years he signs for, whether it's two, three, four, uh, or five. Uh, They can make a compelling case. They've got a young enough core around them where they can be competing for a title, uh, you know, all the way through to the end of that deal. So I didn't really see a huge downside to this move. Uh, It also kind of opens up a little roof. For for Kanner, I think he'll be able to play more, uh, you know, at least more minutes, more touches. Uh, he he had a pretty nice playoff run as well, especially in certain matchups. It wasn't so great against Golden State, but uh, you know, definitely against the Spurs, he was sort of an impact type of guy. So, uh, you know, I liked it for Oklahoma City a lot more than Orlando. I got tons of questions from the Magic's perspective.
0: Sports Illustrated's Benjamin Golliver can follow him on Twitter at ben Golliver. Also, catch his show alongside his colleague Andrew Sharp. Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast just released the day after the draft. Plenty of Celtics talk on the show. Did we spoil too much, though, in this space? I don't think so.
2: I think you can uh, give it a listen. Let's pause
0: briefly, five seconds, for station identification.
1: You're listening to Sealinus Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics
0: Stuff Live. So, again, that was Ben Golliver. feel like I've yet to really be won over. Listen, in terms of where this franchise is at, you got me there. It's just, listen, I'm analyzing one night. This is our draft review show. And right now, you're, you're an accountant. You break it up in assets and liabilities. Likewise, analyzing the draft night on a draft review show, break this up into positives and negatives. I feel the negatives greatly outweigh the positives. Greatly. I know Ben took the side more so of where the Celtics are at as a franchise or not not exactly where they came away from Thursday night and looking at Thursday night specifically and looking at the Browns pick specifically, if you want to get on that, cause that was number three overall. I, I just think analyzing Thursday, the only positives are sort of what Ben said or what someone like Brian Scalabrini has been saying on various radio interviews over these past few days. Oh, they have a track record of, or, Oh, Brad Stevens, he's done a great job and he can coach these guys. Or we don't even know if Jalen Brown is going to work out or not. Remember Avery Bradley having a less than stellar year and a bad fit in Texas. I mean, I don't know about you. I was really hoping for more than that coming out of Thursday. In fact, I, I definitely know about you. I know most of you. Celtics Nation really wanted a, to continue to ride a wave of momentum from another great year, a 48-win season, Ray, wave of momentum for this franchise, continuing throughout the summer that we seemingly feel that they were on, probably as past tens, but it's almost like a replica of last year, right? They had that great season with 40 wins when everyone thought they'd be one of the worst teams in the league and there was a big hype going into the draft. They had a couple picks moving up, and it was a clunker. Sorry to say, but that's just my opinion, mine only. I mean, you want to hear something a little more uh, jovial, Uh, possibly even a little more educated. You want to feel a little better about the Jalen pick? You just heard him, Justin Poulin of Celtics Stuff Live. So he's going on the air tomorrow with draft savant, John Duke. Had a nice chat, actually, with John in our Facebook group uh, regarding the pick, the Celtics Beat Facebook discussion group, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. The whole draft, uh, I hear them a little more detail tomorrow on Celtics Stuff Live, Monday on CLNS Radio. Also, their live draft show, now available on demand. Probably ran nearly six hours. It's broken up into many parts But that is on the CLNS Radio Celtics post-game show feed. Relive the draft, immediate reactions. They went live for, like I said, at least six hours during the draft. And again, on the CLNS Radio post-game show feed, they had an array of guests. uh, Sean Grandy, Ryan Bernardoni had a great interview. I really liked a lot. That's how I learned a lot about Jalen Brown and really delved into a lot of Jalen Brown analysis immediately after his segment. That's where that audio was pulled from earlier, by the way. And, of course, CSL Tomorrow, by the way. Where can you get all of this content, including the bonus audio of this episode, which features Wick Grospec's press conference in its entirety? Again, CLNS Radio mobile app available for your iPhone or Android. Shuffle through all of CLNS's shows. CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Download the free CLNS Radio mobile app right now to see why, believe me, It is worth it. I come on the air once a week. You want continuous Celtics coverage throughout the offseason nearly every single day? Again, get that app. And please just help support this show and all of our podcasts, all of those who work as hard as they do. Justin, Jared Weiss, John Duke. Got to throw Kyle George's name in there. The Garden Report was exceptional. Thursday, again, all, please, CLNS Radio mobile app. And if you even want to go a little further, Love if you gave our sponsors a shot, like American Farmers Network and Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. Blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. means a lot to us. It's a great deal. Two free meals, free shipping. Give it a shot. It's great, convenient, cheap, and healthy food. Even if you don't like it, which you will, again, you really help this show. So we love if you could do that. Or, again, just the easy way, simply just download the CLNS Radio mobile app or subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. That's enough begging from me. Time for a little shouting. We do this every week to put the rap on the show. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, High 209, Chuck Beats, and Steph LeGratto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Big thanks to our guests this week. Scott Howard Cooper. NBA.com and Ben Goller of Sports Illustrated. More thanks today's sponsors: Blue Apron American Farmers Network. And most importantly, our audience. Thank you once again for tuning in to yet another week for our staff writer Eddie Santiago, founder of the network, Nick Jelso, myself, the executive producer and host. I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.